the skills that we have that are going to be most valuable as technology advance, advances are the skills of human interaction, yeah. the, the, the things we do in person, face to face with other human beings. No matter what else technology does, those skills from all the research I could do are going to remain valuable. In fact, will become more valuable as time goes on, as technology advances. And yet, at exactly the same time, technology is actually causing those deep human skills to atrophy, to wither. What is going on, everyone? Thank you so much for joining yours truly, Ryan Caligiuri, on this week's episode of Cut the Crap Podcast, where every single week I'm reading a book, condensing that book down to a set of core golden nuggets. I'm bringing the author on this show, having a conversation about the golden nuggets, and I'm here every single week with you just trying to save you a little bit of time and bring you some information that can spark real change in your life. If you love the show, then please go online, rate and review the show, send me a screen capture of your rating of your review, and I'll make sure you get entered in the draw every single quarter, and you know what I'm giving away this quarter, $1,000 in cash, baby, nice and easy, just get your rating, get your review in, and if you listen on Spotify, you can't really leave a rating or review there, pretty crappy, so just send me an email to podcast at ryancalajury.com and let me know what you think of the show, nice and easy as well. Also, don't forget to connect with me on LinkedIn. Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, all those things. Just great to see who's out there. And I see so many of you reaching out to me. So I don't know if there's any of you left because I've just received tons of people following me over the past little while. So if you haven't, get online, follow me there. All right, what do we got going on this week? So this week, we have a veteran of Cut the Crap podcast, Jeff Colvin. He's back, back on the show. I love Jeff. Loved talking to him in the first place. And when I saw that he had another book out, I had to get him back on the show. I love the chemistry with him that we had. I love just the man's voice. I mean, he's just made for podcasts. And it was great because when I had him on originally talking about deliberate practice, that was the first book that we had him uh, on the show talking about. A lot of you said that you took a lot of what you read into that and you put it into, well, you put it into practice. Nice. You put it into practice for yourself really quickly and you loved the content from that book. And Humans Are Underrated, his new book, is no different. I really love this book. The reason I love this book is because it's so relevant to what we're facing today. So many of us are under attack from technology. Technology is essentially taking away people's jobs. And Jeff argues that humans are underrated and there are certain things that we can do. Things we're probably doing right now but we're not focusing on. Things that we're not developing. Things that we're not doubling down on. That we should that will give us a strong competitive advantage in our market, in our career, and of course against technology. So I could talk all about this, but it's just, let's just get right into the episode. I love talking to Jeff, and I really, really think you're going to enjoy this book. So enough jibber-jabber, let's crack into this one. This is Humans Are Underrated by Jeff Colvin. I'll catch you back here at the end of the episode, everyone. Enjoy. I'm very excited today to bring back our guest, friend of the show, Jeff Colvin. Jeff, how you doing, my friend? Ryan, I am doing fantastically. Thank you very much. Wonderful. So uh, if you don't know, Jeff was on the show before talking about his first book, Talent is Overrated, What Really Separates World-Class Performers from Everybody Else. And right now, the 10th anniversary edition of that book is now available. So if you haven't gone out and picked it up, then definitely go out there, pick up the book. It's a great read, such great takeaways from that. And if you haven't read it yet, maybe you should tune into the other podcast that Jeff was on recently with me and uh, give it a listen. But uh, today... We're here talking about your other book, Humans Are Underrated, What High Achievers Know That Brilliant Machines Never Will. So Jeff, before we get into this, maybe you got to just let me know and everyone out there in Cut the Crap Podcast Nation, why you felt it was important to create this book in the first place. Well, I'll tell you, it's because I was seeing a lot of things happening that I thought needed to be brought together. They needed to be connected and turned into a coherent story. One, I saw technology increasing, improving faster all the time. I mean, it's been improving forever, right? Technology has been improving for Mm. thousands of years, but suddenly it's improving much faster every day. And I saw technology starting to take over work that conventional wisdom thought 
could never be taken over by technology. We always thought it was kind of, you know, repetitive factory work that technology could take over and was taking over. Mm -hmm. But I started to see it taking over work done by highly educated, highly paid people, mm -hmm. lawyers, doctors, accountants, financial advisors, yeah. things like that, that supposedly technology would never be able to do. And so I thought, okay, there's something... Mm -hmm larger going there's something historic going on here and that's how i came to right. see that we had to write this book yeah it's a real problem and like you said it's not just affecting you know people who who, who don't have extensive education but it is affecting everybody from both spectrums and it is a little bit scary. So that's yeah. why I felt like bringing your book on, um, you know, it's very important for people to understand that um, there are things they can do to compete with these trends. And so maybe yes. let's just kick right into it because that's what this book is about. So golden nugget number one, Jeff, we say that technology is changing us more than we think it is, but for the worse. So I recently had Adam Alter on the show and um, we were talking about how phones, computers and screens, they're harming us. So yes. help us understand this from your perspective. How is technology changing us for the worse? Uh, because the skills that we have that are going to be most valuable as technology advance, advances are the skills of human interaction. Mm. The, the, the things we do in person, face to face, with other human beings. No matter what else technology does, those skills from all the research I could do are going to remain valuable. In fact, will become more valuable as time goes on, as technology advances. And yet, at exactly the same time, technology is actually causing those deep human skills to atrophy, to wither. And there's a lot of evidence, a lot of research on this now um, the, it, it's getting some attention now because of all the attention going to Facebook. But in fact, the research has been out there for a long time that, for example, uh, Facebook use correlates with uh, feeling depressed mm -hmm. and, uh, and just having a lower sense of well-being. Mm -hmm. And so you think, well, maybe it's because people when they are depressed, then they get on and use Facebook more. No, the researchers were able to figure that out. And it wasn't that way. It, it seemed to be that Facebook use increased depression. Uh, there's other research finding that, for example, when people spend more time looking at screens, uh, their empathy declines. Mm -hmm. They become less empathetic. And in fact, there is yet more research which has measured college students' empathy uh, over the past 40 years. Hmm. And, you know, it remained more or less uh, steady until about the year 2000. And since then, it has been declining, and in most recent years, declining rather sharply. Well, why would that be? Hmm. You know, I think we have a pretty good idea. Hmm. It's because you know, yet more research shows that kids today spend more hours a week looking into screens and actually communicating with their thumbs yeah. than they spend in face-to-face -face play or other interaction with their friends. That's right. And so it, it, it's, it is changing us. And the good news is we can change back. You know, right. our, our empathy, our deep human skills are in there mm -hmm. wanting to come out. But as long as we're spending more time looking into screens, those skills are withering. That's right. Adam Alter really talks about the addictive nature of these things. And from your perspective, you're talking about how it's impacting some of these very important human qualities that we bring to the table that gives us a competitive advantage. And when you think about that, it's a vicious cycle where you are feeling depressed. You're on Facebook and you're feeling depressed, but yet you can't stop because you're addicted. And yeah. you people out there listening, Cut the Crap Podcast Nation, you're listening to me right now. I guarantee you some of you are addicted to your phones, you're addicted to your screens, to social media, the endless, you know, the bottomless pit that is the scrolling home feed of your, your Facebook or your Instagram. It just never ends. Um, right. it, it gets quite scary. So bringing awareness to this is so important. Uh, I certainly agree. And it's interesting and very significant, I think, that we're starting to see people from the tech industry, people in Silicon Valley who have worked for these major 
uh, tech firms mm -hmm. saying, you know, people don't understand how carefully we engineer these experiences to make them addictive. Yeah. Uh, you know, the smartest people on the planet are on this topic. They're yeah. on this problem. And, you know, they say ordinary people are, are, have virtually no chance <laughs> against this, you know, highly uh, advanced technology that is carefully designed and engineered so that you can't let go of it to be addictive. Ooh, scary stuff. It really yeah, it is, is scary. And I think a lot of people maybe underplay it and they say, ah, I, I can quit anytime. I can quit <laughs> anytime. I don't know about that. You know, when you see the <laughs> likes come up and the notifications come up and all of a sudden you realize that five minutes turns into one hour, you're like, oh, wow, maybe, hold on a second, maybe I can't control that. But let's get into it now. So golden nugget number two, you started mentioning this before, some of the, 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 the human qualities that are becoming even yes. more important today. So the first one I'll talk about is social skills. Social yes. skills are becoming more important as an asset for humans than knowledge. So um, there's an old saying that goes, knowledge is power. But today, we need more than just knowledge. We need to double down on other uniquely human capabilities like social skills. So tell us more about that. This turns out to be more important than most of us ever imagined. You know, if you talk to a lot of people in business, especially in sales, but in any other part of business, they'll say, well, yeah, it's all about relationships. You know, they've always thought this and they've got a good point. It's all about relationships. Well, it turns out that even more than you thought is all about relationships. For example, uh, what makes teams effective? Uh, Everything that we do in our businesses today, we do in teams. The problems we face are too hard for any one person to just sit in a room and try to figure out the solutions. Mm -hmm. We try to do all of it with teams. And so this great question, what makes teams effective, has become the basis for a big consulting industry mm -hmm. now. And uh, there's good research on it. And what it shows is not what most people think. The cohesion or motivation or satisfaction of the team has very little to do with it. The IQ of the smartest person on the team has absolutely nothing to do with the effectiveness of it. The average IQ of the people on the team has a very small effect on the effectiveness of the team. The number one factor by far greater than all the other factors combined is the social sensitivity of the people on the team, mm. their ability to read one another. And the reason this turns out to be so important is that good teams, successfully effective teams, do a couple of things. One, they get lots of ideas onto the table. And when everybody is very socially sensitive, they can tell when there are people around the table who are maybe wanting to speak up, but they're not saying anything. You know, you can mm -hmm. sort of tell sometimes. Mm -hmm. So they make sure those people speak up. They invite them. They, you know, they get a lot of ideas onto the table. And then the other thing good teams do is they arrive at a consensus on what the good ideas are and the not so good ideas. And again, when you can read each other very well, you can sense what the team thinks. Mm -hmm very effectively because we're all sitting there saying these tiny things you know we're saying uh-huh hmm really <laughs> stuff like that well that's all of that is sending valuable signals it is so when you're socially sensitive you can figure that out so the the findings are very clear it's the social sensitivity of the team that makes it most effective mm. that's what well, that's that's an example of what we're talking about here, the value of social skills. There, there's other research that shows it's critical for creativity and innovation. Um, people who have very strong social skills uh, and, who, and who are together in person, uh, together they become far more creative mm -hmm. uh, than people who don't have those skills. Mm, very true. From myself, my perspective, somebody yeah. who has done product development, who has run innovation, ideation sessions for a lot of different organizations, the challenge that a lot of people have when they're coming up with new products, new services, new offers for their marketplace, they're trying to be innovative, is that they oftentimes do it in isolation. They do it in a silo. Right. But 
Right. Something truly brilliant happens when you bring in a diverse group of people um, from different areas of the organization and you have a facilitator in the room who's able to organize the, the conversation, pull people into certain conversations who might not have the confidence to speak up. Um, and all of a sudden you start to see this brilliant dynamic happen of creative ideas and people just letting go of themselves. And it just, you will always create better ideas. More innovation will happen when you bring people together and you can facilitate a really strong discussion, strong conversation with them. And a lot of these sessions that I'm in, it really develops them as human beings and they can see, wow, this is, look what I got out of this because we were able to communicate so effectively. How we were able to come to an agreement despite disagreeing. Um, how we were able to support one another. How we were able to pull more ideas out of each other's minds. How we were able to push ourselves further. None of this they were, they, were, they were privy to before they got into this session. And after this session, now they just became stronger communicators, more influential. And their social skills, in my opinion, increased dramatically. So yeah. great point there, Jeff. Great point. Yeah, and, and you just described it very, very uh, clearly and powerfully. That's that is exactly the way it works, and you have experience with it. So do I, and I can tell you, there's a lot of research that supports exactly what we're talking about. You also mentioned something earlier, which brings us to golden nugget number three: the power of empathy. So the power of empathy it gives us a distinct advantage over computers because being empathetic understanding what the other person's feeling is becoming more important in every area of the economy. So maybe you can dig deeper into uh, empathy. Tell us a little bit more about that, why yeah. it's important. And maybe when you do that, tell us how American Express used empathy. <laughs> yeah, it's a good story. Uh, I'll tell you, there are people, business people who I think are very perceptive, who are saying this is the critical 21st century skill. Mm. And since I wrote the book, I, uh, there has been much more talk about the importance of empathy. There are articles coming out now every day on this subject because people are understanding that the computers are going to take over all kinds of stuff that humans currently do, and they're going to do it better than humans. But as you said, our ability to empathize with somebody else is still a powerful human skill that's going to make us valuable even as computers advance. So the, the first question, well, what do I mean by empathy? And people think, well, it means feeling someone else's pain. Mm -hmm. Well, it does mean that, but it means a lot more. It means discerning what some other person is feeling or thinking, no matter what it is, you know, joy, sadness, anger, skepticism, what, you know, anything to to be able to discern what that is and then to respond in some appropriate way. Mm. And we see this everywhere. Uh, I won't spend any time on it right now, but one of the things that really surprises people when I speak about this is I say, you know, who's really, really good at understanding the importance of empathy and training it? The military. Mm. And I find this true in the U.S. military, the Canadian military, and the U.K. military. All of them have realized that this is a, now a critical skill for them for mission success. Because, uh, you know, the, the, the experience of the last 15 years is they're going into villages and stuff. They need to be able to have human connections That's right. with people. So you asked about American Express, mm -hmm. how they use it. Well, this has to do with their... <laughs> operation of what everybody hates, the call center, right? Everybody, you, you hate, you, you dread pushing those numbers on your phone when you're calling a call <laughs> center because right. you know what's going to happen. But it's going to be answered by someone who may speak only marginal English. But regardless of that, you know how it works. Mm -hmm. They answer the phone. They're reading a script. They've got a computer screen in front of them and they are reading the script. Yep. And no matter what you say to them, the script has something for them to say back to you, and they read that, and that's it, and we all hate it. Mm -hmm. They might as well be computers, that's right? right. <laughs> and, and in fact, sometimes I wonder if they are. I can't tell. <laughs> they may just be speech-synthesizing computers. You, you, you don't know. It's true. And it, I mean, it really is, and it's increasingly true. Anyway, 
at American Express, the guy at the time who was running the uh, call centers said, you know what? This is not what American Express wants to be. We're going to change it. And so he said, we're going to throw out the scripts. Just forget it. Okay. No scripts. No more. What we're going to do is give those people a computer screen that gives them information about whoever just called in. And we're not going to hire the same kind of people we used to hire. We're going to look for people from the hospitality industry, mm-hmm. people who have experience dealing with guests in a hotel or in a restaurant or something. And we're going to put them in those chairs and just give them information, you know, train them in what we like to do for the customers, but let them have a genuine conversation with the people who call into the call center. Mm-hmm. And so they did that, and of course, it was completely against all normal practices mm-hmm. in the call center business, and the results were fantastic. Mm-hmm. And, you know, as if anyone should be surprised. Right. But the the, the customers <laughs> were happier. They were more likely to remain customers. Uh, you know, they they more likely to use their cards and mm-hmm. so forth. Every outcome was good, and it was because they decided to make empathy the focus of how these call center people were measured and not the way they used to do it, which was by rewarding them for keeping the calls short. Mm-hmm. Right? Yeah, well, no that's kidding. not what the customers <laughs> necessarily want. Um, it, it, it's not just theory. That's the really important point here. This is not just somebody spouting off theory. It's right. real and works. Yeah, and you notice that. All, all my salespeople out there listening to Cut the Crap Podcast Nation, this point by itself should really resonate with you because we live in an industry where you know sales you follow your script baby you follow your script you follow the flow chart of objections and you know yourself out there when you're reading your script you say "Ah, it's just not me a lot of you you're saying it's just not me and the seasoned sales professionals out there will say well no you don't read straight from a script ryan you don't read from a script jeff you 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 understand the script but you put it in your own style that might be true but what um, I think it was Jim Bush. What what, what Jim yes, did, they, yeah. Yes. What, what he did for Amex was completely different. And unlocking this empathy, getting personality across on the phone, truly a game changer. That in itself is a competitive advantage that generated real revenue for them. And I would encourage a lot of people out there who maybe stick to their scripts to maybe try what Jim did and what American Express did. And see how that changes your results and see what kind of personality that gets out of you. See what, how you can exercise empathy in that call. Yeah, I, I, that's, it is fantastic advice. And the key is something else that I know you've talked about, which is listening, active mm-hmm. listening, the listening for what they're not saying, but it's embedded in the words. Mm-hmm. That's real empathy. It listening to the tone of the voice. It remember it's discerning what's going on inside them. Mm. That's what empathy is, right. and you don't get that by talking. You get it by listening, and and if we can develop that skill, uh, and then respond appropriately in a genuine way, that's magic. It really is. Yeah, and it's it's something that I'm seeing to training companies. You've mentioned it before. Empathy, ever since you started talking about it and humans are underrated, a lot of people have been talking more about empathy. And there's this thing, um, I started digging into it a little bit a couple of months ago, was these empathy games where you have yes. two people. Um, if you know more, do you, have you heard of this before, empathy games, where you see these individuals with a blindfold on and um, this person with a blindfold on, they have to solve this, this very complex puzzle. And their team has to communicate with them and say, no, no, not that way. Do this or you move this piece. And you have to become a very clear communicator. You have to listen to how the person's getting frustrated. I, I don't quite get it. Hey, listen, I get it. You're, you're, you're feeling a little bit frustrated, but let's slow down for a sec. Let's take two steps back and figure it out. There's these games. There's investment. There's, there's, there's real economy now around people making money off of teaching people how yes. to be empathetic in the workplace. It's yeah. truly remarkable. And so now we're starting to see this kick up a little bit. We started to see this with your book and now people are talking about it. Now we're seeing um, e- um, empathy games coming up. It's truly remarkable. And if everyone out there at Cut the Crap Podcast Nation, if you've kind of doubted this thing called empathy, I double down on it because I think it's going to become even more important in the coming years. 
I, I'm totally with you on that, Ryan. I think that is absolutely right. Uh, another little bit of fun that a person can have with this is just uh, when you've got a minute, just do a search for something called reading the mind in the eyes. Uh, there is a little exercise, a little test. It's the reading the mind in the eyes test. And it's free. You can download it for free. You can have, you can get, have a, your team at work do this. With, you don't need permissions. You don't need to pay anything. Um, and all it is is a series of photographs that show nothing but the eye region of somebody's face. Hmm. Can't see any more of their face, just the, the rectangle that shows their eyes. And then you're supposed to choose. You've got four or five choices for each photo. What is this person thinking or feeling? Oh. And you choose, and then you find out if you're right or wrong. Hmm. And it is very revealing, and it will really uh, <laughs> make you start thinking about your own empathy abilities wow wow oh i'm definitely a lot gonna, of fun yeah no kidding i'm definitely gonna try that out and i know all of you out there are gonna start trying that out too awesome great tip jeff can't wait to give that a try so in golden nugget number three we talked about empathy you know i kind of had a little bit of a call to action there for the sales folks out there yes. golden nugget number four says that a good story is more yes. convincing than logic so sales people this definitely applies to you but my marketers out there you know this applies to you so jeff talk to us about the power of stories to win yeah. over logic yeah this is so important and it's one of those things that i think we all know just from life experience and yet in most of our organizations storytelling isn't really valued uh, we value charts and graphs uh, more than stories. And charts and graphs are great. We're not going to throw those away. You know, we're going to have to make our decisions in business based on good analysis of data. But, you know, good analysis of data is what the technology is doing better and better every day and better than we can do it. And especially because now they can do it with vast, vast amounts of data. So, you know, we humans should not be trying to distinguish ourselves by being great analysts of data. The computers are going to do it way, they already do it way better than we do, and they're just going to keep getting better. And yet, you know, don't we all know that if you want people to remember something, if you want to change people's minds, if you want to inspire them to action, don't show them charts and graphs. Tell them a story. And that is exactly the way it works. And as with everything I'm talking about here, these are not just my opinions. There is lots of research. And in fact, there is research showing that our brains are hardwired to respond to stories. In fact, we see the world as stories, not as data if we're given a bunch of data, even if it isn't necessarily related, we start to form it into a story in our minds because that's just the way we're hardwired. And furthermore, there is research showing that we are hardwired to respond to the classic story structure. You know, the, the basic, the, the fundamental story is, you know, it's about somebody. There's a protagonist of somebody. You know, there's a hero or something. There's just some. It's about somebody, and at the beginning, this somebody is just living their life. Everything's okay. Then something happens to interrupt and throw off track the normal course of their life, mm -hmm. and then it's a problem, right? And there's a conflict that arises, and then it gets worse, and then it gets even worse, <laughs> and then it gets worse still, <laughs> and finally. There has to be this resolution where the story's protagonist has to come up against whatever is causing the conflict mm -hmm. and ultimately, one hopes, uh, is victorious over the right. whatever's causing the conflict, and that's the climax of the story. And then at the end, uh, the hero, the protagonist, goes back to their everyday life, except now they're changed. Mm -hmm. Because of the experience, they are not the same person they were 
going in. That's the classic story structure. And I tell you it in a little bit of detail there because you can use this. You can use it in sales. You can use it in marketing. Tell a story that follows that structure and decide who the, the, the hero of the story ought to be. You know, maybe the hero of the story is the product you're selling. Mm -hmm. Maybe the hero is the person you're talking to. Mm -hmm. But if you can do that, it is unbelievably powerful. Oh, yeah. Oh, I love that, Jeff. That is a great takeaway for all my marketers, for all my salespeople out there, all you entrepreneurs, people in general. We're all storytellers. Every single one yes. of us are storytellers. So yes. that by itself, that takeaway, incredibly powerful, Jeff. I love that. And since we're kind of on on the storytelling topic still, I want you to tell the story about um, Stephen Denning, the uh, director yeah. of the Africa region of the of the World Bank. Yeah, this is a it's a wonderful story. <laughs> it's a, and it's great because it's a story about a storyteller. That's right. <laughs> but, but somebody who figured this out, Stephen Denning uh, is a lawyer who had worked in the World Bank for many years. You know, he have a noble mission at the World Bank, helping. Um, countries around the world that need help. Uh, and it's notoriously bureaucratic. And he was uh, working there and he had risen quite high. As you said, he was in charge of the African region, which for the World Bank is a is a hugely important assignment. Mm -hmm. And then <laughs> to, to follow the story structure, then something happened right, that threw off the course of the nice smooth course of his life. His boss got fired and it looked like he was being he, Stephen, was being marginalized. There were all these, uh, you know, political infighting things going on. And as a result, he felt the mission was losing, was being made less effective. And so he was trying to convince the other people in the World Bank that they needed to be focusing more on certain things, that there were that there were things that the World Bank wasn't doing like this in the days this was happening. It wasn't using the Internet. It wasn't online in any significant way. And he said, we have to do this. Well, and he had presentations with charts and graphs. And as he said, they accomplished nothing. No, you know, everybody watched them. Everybody nodded their head. And then everybody went back to their offices and nothing happened. And so finally, this program, this, this mission he was on of changing the mind of the uh, organization was in its final stages. It was about to fail and he was told that he was about to get fired and so forth. So he decided to give a presentation where instead of the charts and graphs, he was just going to tell a story. Hmm. And it was a very simple story. But what the story showed was that there were people in a village in Africa who needed help and they could get it if the World Bank resources were online, but they weren't. And the World Bank was out of the picture and not doing what it should have been doing. And he just told this story and he says everything changed. Mm. It was the most amazing thing. Suddenly, people, this became real for people. They wanted to they, they wanted to fix the outcome of that story. And suddenly he got interest. He got yeah. action <laughs> and things started to change. And so he being a clever guy, he realized, OK, that's how I get things done around here. Mm -hmm. I start telling stories. And so he all every time he would figure out what's a good story I can tell to accomplish what I'm trying to do here. And he found that it was unbelievably effective. And eventually, what he did was he left the World Bank mm. and he became a consultant on storytelling <laughs> because it was becoming so well known that he was getting these tremendous results that people were coming to him. He wasn't seeking recognition, but people were coming to him to ask, how do you do it? Please advise our organization on how you do it. And he finally realized, well, this is what I should be doing. Mm. I should be advising other organizations. And so he wrote books about it. You can easily find them. Mm -hmm. His name is Stephen with a PH and Denning spelled just the way you would expect it. Mm -hmm. And um, he wrote some terrific books about using the power of story mm -hmm. in business, mm -hmm. in organizations. And it was because he discovered it for himself. 
That's right. I truly love that story. Thanks for telling that one, Jeff. That's a, a great takeaway for everybody out there. Again, to remind you all about the power of story. Truly love it. Yeah. Golden Nugget number five says that computers can demonstrate an element of creativity, but only true breakthroughs come from human interaction. So, Jeff, help us understand how computers, like Watson, for example, can be creative. But then tell us how humans and maybe people at uh, Pixar, Apple, and Google have competed with that. Yeah. Uh, One thing that you often hear when you talk about what computers are doing in the economy today or in the world today and what computers are capable of is people often say, well, but computers can never be creative, Mm -hmm. right? All they are are just these programmed devices. You know, they can only do what we tell them to do. They can never actually be creative. (laughs) Well, that's just not true. Uh, It turns out that computers are being created now. Software is being created now that enables computers to do stuff you're not you don't think they can do to create pictures, to write music. Uh, to create recipes. That's what Watson was doing. They took it to South by Southwest a couple of years ago and, and had Watson create recipes for a food truck. And they were the craziest recipes you've ever heard of. It's, <laughs> the, the combination sounded insane, mm-hmm. but they were excellent. People loved them. Uh, it, you know, and this was, you know, th- this was real creativity. It's something that nobody had come up with before. And it made people happy. You know, that, mm-hmm. that's what chefs do. That's, that's exactly right. what chefs do. When, you know, you, computer-written music, well, uh, I don't think anyone <laughs> is, I don't think a computer is competing with, you know, Bach or Beethoven yet. Mm-hmm. But if you play some of this music and play other music written by humans, most people can't tell the difference. Mm-hmm. They, you know, they think it's just as good. So computers can be creative, and they're getting more so. Mm-hmm. But... The trouble here is, in real life, what we all, and we all know this from our experience in organizations, you're talking about a problem, you're trying to solve a problem, come up with a creative answer. And as you talk about it, the problem changes, right? You realize the problem isn't what we thought it was. You know, we thought the problem was how do we get, uh, you know, more uh, aluminum to this plant uh, on schedule? And the end, and then you talk and you realize, wait a minute, maybe the product shouldn't even be made of aluminum. Mm. And so the, the, the problem always changes as you talk about it. And as that happens, you realize you have to change your whole thinking. What, that's why in the real world, it's people working together that do the, the, the real problem solving. Right. That's right. Uh, it's because we humans remain in charge of the economy. Mm-hmm. And I specify that in the book. You know, there are a lot of people who think that the computers are going to take over and kill us all and rule the world <laughs> and so forth. And I, look, I, I, well, I don't know that, you know, look, uh, you know, 500 years out. I don't know. And I, but if, if you think that's going to happen, then throw the book away because nothing else matters. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> uh, right. So I'm assuming that for now, humans remain in charge. Mm-hmm. Uh, and as long as that's the case, then we have to decide what problems are the ones we must solve. That's right. Yeah. And when it comes down to it, I mean, it's funny when you were talking about the um, the South by Southwest example in Watson, they met what, um, an Austrian chocolate burrito. It was uh, ground <laughs> beef, dark chocolate, mashed edamame, apricot puree, and cheese. I read that. I was like, man, that actually does sound really good. But what a unique combination. And that was created by a computer, folks. So I'm telling yes. you, when you're saying that computers can't be creative, yes, they can be creative. They, but it, they can be. And, and, and I'm so, sorry, Ron, but oh, I just sure. wanted to point out because people might get the wrong idea from the way we're talking about this. The, 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 Watson didn't just make random combinations of stuff and say, try this out. Mm. It, it, it had been given information about all the elements of the flavor in, a, you know, a thousand different foods. Mm-hmm. And it had been given information about the chemistry of those things and 
about what people see, what combinations people seem to like and how these things worked together and so forth. So it, it, it wasn't just throwing stuff together randomly. That, that bizarre recipe you just described, mm -hmm. that came from putting together those elements because Watson figured, you know what, they should work well together. Mm -hmm. And it turned out they did. That's exactly right. And one thing that you see a lot of organizations doing, uh, like the Pixars, like the Googles, like the Apples, is they're encouraging their people to have these random interactions between employees. Because yes. when you, we, we kind of touched on this earlier, when we were talking about social skills and innovation and, and the facilitation, we talked about this already, but um, I think it's worth noting here that you really see creativity increase when you start bringing people together. Um, there's something to right. be said about the collaborative workspace. Um, you know, I, I have a love-hate relationship with the collaborative workspace with the open open yeah. workspace environment you right. know i love right. the collaboration i love it when it happens but when i need to focus you know the the start and stops the interruptions are another thing but yep. the, the one thing i will say though is the collaborative workspace it did help with creating more creative um solutions to problems we were having when i was having an issue whether it was with a client whether it was with a certain product um, whatever the challenge was I was having it in my mind, I would bring it to a colleague, and then the more brains we had on it, I think we've all yeah. heard that before, right? Two brains are better than one. Yep. Well, you know, there's yep. more is always better. And that was yep. something I learned very quickly while working in one of these collaborative spaces. So when you look at Google and Apple and Pixar, they still encourage this creativity through random interactions, which, um, yeah. you know, to me, is, it's critical. Yeah, and, and they understand this and absolutely believe it. Uh, Steve Jobs absolutely believed it. And as I say in the book, when he uh, designed the new headquarters, what, what was then the new headquarters for um, uh, Next, I guess, when he was running that, mm -hmm. he, in, he insisted that it be designed so that when people were going from one place to another that they would probably have to go to, they had to walk through a central area of the building. There was a sort of central, um, uh, I don't know what you'd call it, but it, it, it was a, an, a large open space in the middle. Mm. And he arranged the rooms such that people would be forced to walk through there for the exact purpose of making them run into each other mm. and making people who had maybe no particular reason to run into each other to do that anyway. And the, the very same thing was done at Google in their uh, cafeterias mm -hmm. uh, on the Google campus. The one thing everybody knows about working at Google is that they give you this unbelievably good food uh, for free in the cafeterias. And people assume that's so that they can acquire the best mm -hmm. workers, but it isn't. You know, the best workers already want to work at Google. They, you know, that's the, so mm -hmm. they, they don't have to do anything special for that. But the reason for that, and by the way, they don't serve the food all day long. They only serve it at mealtimes. Mm -hmm. The reason they make it really, really good is to make sure everybody will go to the cafeteria. That's right. And then they'll run into each other. They make sure you have to wait in line for a few minutes. <laughs> and being Google, they measure the minutes, you know, because they want you to be standing in line, talking with the random people in front of you and behind you mm -hmm. uh, for a few minutes. And then they seat people at these long cafeteria tables like you had in your high school cafeteria, not little round tables where you can sit in small groups. Mm -hmm. And again, the idea is so that you'll have to sit next to or across from somebody you don't know. Mm -hmm. And they deliberately put those tables too close to each other <laughs> so that when you push your chair back, there's a good chance you're going to hit somebody and thus end up talking to them. It's all deliberate and it's all made so that people will talk to one another because they know to talk to people they wouldn't otherwise talk to because that's where creativity comes from. That's right. Nothing on accident, everything on purpose. Hey, I love right. it. <laughs> exactly right. So as we wrap up the episode here, Jeff, we got golden nugget number six, which says that technology and computers, they're not our enemy. Instead, we need to harness their power to boost our knowledge and our social skills. So while many people, they're afraid that computers are going to take away our jobs, as we've talked about this episode, the real opportunity lies in being able to take advantage of them. 
So help us wrap up this golden nugget in the episode by sharing with us how exactly we can use computers to create our own competitive advantage. Right. Uh, This is something that's really important to keep in mind, in my opinion, because there's a lot of talk you hear that suggests computers are the enemy. They're going to take away all our jobs. We're all going to be unemployed, living on a universal basic income that is barely enough to uh, feed us and so forth. And it's going to be a terrible world. No, there is no reason to believe that. Um, Look, technology, advancing technology has been the greatest thing for human well-being in all of history. And there is nothing else that comes close. Uh, And it's going to continue to advance and continue to do fantastic things. Some people will lose jobs. It it has always eliminated jobs jobs and enabled the creation of new ones. And my point in the book is that the skills of deep human interaction, what we've just spent this program talking about, are the valuable skills. If we have those, we'll continue to be high value workers, even as technology advances. So we don't, you know, we'll we'll do fine, but we'll do even better if we say, look, let's use computers. Let's harness them. They are doing more and more work better, faster, and cheaper Mm -hmm. than we humans can do it. Don't try to compete with them because they'll win if you try to play their games. You know, just let them do what they do. And so, you know, if you're a lawyer, use computers to do discovery, to read the 100,000 pages of documents and figure out what's relevant and what is not and to find patterns in the documents. They can do that better, faster, cheaper than any human lawyer can do. But then that enables you to do what demands your human skills, which is counseling clients mm-hmm. about how they ought to behave. You know, it, it's not too surprising that clients often get a little irrational. You know, they, they get angry. I want to sue the <laughs> son of a gun, you know, or, you know, I, I, that's a, they, they want to do all kinds of stuff that may be self-destructive. Mm-hmm. And the the lawyer's value can become under, you know, explaining that that's not what they should do. Mm-hmm. Same thing for a financial advisor, right? To let, let the computers do the portfolio assembly now. They do it better. Mm-hmm. But financial decisions are emotional decisions. Mm-hmm. People need to talk to a human being who can help them do what's genuinely best for them. And that's a really valuable service, right? So over and over there are opportunities to let the computer do stuff that it does great but we're dealing with other human beings in our real business lives let's focus on that and the combination of us being able to talk in person face to face with somebody armed with the information and analytical power and so forth of the computer that's the winning combination Mm. That's exactly right. Technological progress, it's its inevitable. Right? It's just going to happen. It's going to continue to happen. But if we as human beings want to compete, we have to continue to uh, build up, invest in these human skills that we've talked about all episode here. Things like social skills, uh, team building, teamwork, uh, empathy. All these things uh, are incredibly important to our ability to compete in the future. And I think that's one of the main takeaways from this book. And for anybody out there who was worried about technology or still is concerned about technology, to me, one of the biggest takeaways from this was that what makes us authentically human are some of the most important elements that we can bring to the table. And for me, this book was a real game changer to help us understand a lot of these skills that maybe people call soft skills, but no. They're not soft skills. They're incredibly important. Yes, that's exactly right. That's exactly right. They are the hard skills of today and tomorrow. Humans are underrated. What high achievers know that brilliant machines never will. By my friend, Jeff Colvin. Jeff, I got to tell you, man, it's always such a pleasure having you on the show. I love our interviews. The I, I just enjoy talking to you, my friend. It's uh, It's always a pleasure having you on the show. Thank you, Ryan. Listen, I love talking with you too. You you really do, you 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 do the preparation for these things better than anybody else I know. So it is a real pleasure. Thank oh, you. Right on. Thank you so much, Jeff. So again, get out there, pick up the book, uh, Jeff. If anyone wants to connect with you, if they want to see what else you're putting out there, how can they do that? Uh, the easiest way is just to go to the website, which is jeffcolvin.com. The only thing I have to point out is I spell Jeff 
with a G. So it's G E O F F C O L V I N, Jeff Colvin.com. <laughs> Excellent. Well, Jeff, once again, thank you so much for making time for me and for everyone out there in Cut the Crap Podcast Nation. It's a true pleasure having you again on the show. My pleasure. Thanks, Ryan. All right. There we go. That was Humans Are Underrated by Jeff Colvin. What did I tell you? That's a solid episode. Man, I mean, I love talking to Jeff. I told you at the very beginning. I love talking to the man, and I wish the man had a third book so I can get him back on the show. i got to find some sort of way to get him back on the show. Maybe I can start a podcast with him. I don't know. But anyways, I love talking to him. I really enjoyed the book. I hope you enjoyed it too. If you did enjoy it, then please go online, rate and review the show. Send me a screen capture of your rating, of your review. Just send it to podcast at ryancalajury.com, and I'll make sure you get entered in the draw every quarter for a prize. And this quarter's prize, I'm giving away one thousand dollars cash to the lucky person that i draw out of a hat at the end of the quarter so nice and easy don't forget to follow me on linkedin twitter facebook uh, instagram if you haven't followed me yet follow me on those platforms and you can see what ryan is doing throughout the week all right my friends that is a wrap for this week so thank you so much all of you for tuning in every week i know there's a lot competing for your attention so it truly means a lot that you make time for me All right, everybody, you have yourselves a fantastic week, a productive week. I'll catch you back here next week when I have a brand new book, brand new Golden Nuggets, an interview with an author. And, of course, you know what I'm doing here every single week. Just trying to save you a little bit of time and bring you some information that can spark real change in your life. Have a fantastic week, everyone. I love you guys. you tell don't get trapped in digital marketing right uh, what advice would you give me to change up my class for them to be useful in the age of artificial intelligence okay so digital marketing it's interesting to note that the modern 800 number was invented in 1983 but between 1983 and 2000 no one talked about telephone marketing 800 number marketing we used the phone but we were talking to each other. We didn't call it phone marketing. And just because it's digital doesn't mean it's different. We're still humans. There's a series of tactics. There's a series of dials that need to be turned. Someone cheaper than you could be hired to turn those dials. Soon, computers will turn those dials. That the iterative process of scientific advertising and iteration is going to get more and more done by AI and computers. It's, gonna, it's a fairly easy problem to solve in the long run. But being human, that's like one of the last problems AI is going to solve. And so that's the opportunity, is don't tell me you're an expert at Facebook yield optimization, because that might be worth a dollar today, but tomorrow it's worth a dime. Tell me you're an expert at seeing humans for who they really are and what they're afraid of and what they want to become, and that you're good at telling a story that's true that lights up their eyes. And if that's the case, it doesn't matter if they're dialing 1-800-ABCDEFG or if they are working on the cutting edge of augmented reality. None of that matters. The technology is going to keep changing. We don't need technology specialists. We need humans.